It's Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company here on a Wednesday. Willie Ramirez is here. Damon is steering the ship. Uh, I'm here. I was out the last couple of days. Thanks to uh, JBT and Adam for filling in. Lots to get to. Lots to get to. Uh, action-packed, apparently, practice with the Rams and the Raiders. Another one of these joint practices, and you're seeing them uh, first time around in these joint practices, but especially second time around, they start getting froggy because guys start getting real tired of each other and banging heads in practice, and you even see fights you know, in practice, we saw the uh, the Jets getting into a bunch on hard knocks from last week, but uh, wasn't it fisticuffs? Last year? Fisticuffs maybe a little strong for Max Crosby and Cam Akers, but we'll get to that. Yeah, wasn't it last year, the year before, the Rams were here for a joint practice? And they I got, thought it was down there, and it got real ugly. Oh, was it down there? It was I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I down think. there. Yeah. So this is the second time this has happened with these two teams. Well, we know Aaron Donald is always recipe for something. Yeah. Uh, in this case, all we know about is Akers and Crosby. So we'll get to that we got to get to the Aces. That was ugly last night, but they get a bounce-back spot tomorrow against the New York Liberty. But, you know, let's start out with uh, another local football story in your guy, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and he's really everyone's guy, Bishop Gorman, dude, UCLA. You know, it's funny, now that he's in the NFL and was a draft pick in the NFL, let's go back to our conversation, Willie. A little over a year ago, we were talking about, remember when Dylan Gabriel – had committed to UCLA. Oh, yes. And DTR at that point, it was like, hey, Dylan Gabriel's coming in to start a quarterback. What's Chip Kelly doing here? What is Dorian going to do? Is he going to switch positions now? Is he going to go somewhere else? And then look how it worked out. Gabriel backed out. DTR has a monster senior year, impresses a bunch of people at workouts and the combine, gets drafted, and now he's one of the hot names in the NFL preseason. Really cool for a hometown hero. Yeah, one of the best rookies um, that's, that's out there. PFF obviously puts out their rankings here and there. And, and just, I mean, beyond quarterback rankings and just in, in terms of its rookies, um, everybody's high on him right now. Um, his second preseason game, which was week one of the preseason because he played in the Hall of Fame game, um, he, he actually played the second half of that game and led the Browns to a come-from-behind win over your New York Jets. Uh, but second preseason game, 9 of 10, 102 passing yards, 11 rushing yards, one touchdown, 142.5 passer rating. And, and again, you know, this is preseason, so we don't want to be the prisoner of the moment, but at the same token, this is a rookie and thrust into the spotlight in a very – Somewhat <laughs> touchy camp, right? With Deshaun Watson, it's a, it's a very interesting and intriguing situation that he's in, with a lot of media around yeah. the position and the person he's supposed to be the mentee to, right? He's supposed to be shadowing Deshaun Watson, and the bottom line is he's emerging as the star of this preseason for the Browns. Did you mention Hard Knocks with DTR and Rodgers? Because we should mention that. That was another moment yeah. of pretty nice spotlight. 
yeah. for Dorian Thompson Robinson. When on Hard Knocks, you see Rodgers talk to him multiple times, and and then I don't know. I get a kick out of, and again, I'm completely bought in on Aaron Rodgers and the Jets now, and I don't question anything. I'm like his PR guy. Um, so tell me if I'm wrong in this. I think it's cool, you know, if in last week's episode you're DTR, this week's episode you're Chase Young. Did I get the name wrong on that? Bryce Young. Bryce Young, right? If you're Bryce Young and Aaron Rodgers is coming up to you and he's like, hey, what's going on talking to you? He's like, big fan. Like if I were DTR, I'd be like, whoa, you know who I am? Am I being a cheese ball on that? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I am not. I'm not a Packer hater. But I've just never been a Packers fan. I've never been a fan of anyone coming out of Green Bay. It's just it's kind of one of those teams you love them or hate them. I have become a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah! <laughs> I just think, yeah. I, just, I don't know. If Here we go. I don't know if it's the handshake. You seen the handshake with the receiver? I can't think who it is. What they walk up with, like they got the joints in the hand, and yeah. and, and I mean, just there's just he 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 just seems. You know what it is? He seems carefree, stress free. He seems a lot healthier mentally he doesn't seem as if there's a lot of pressure on him he doesn't feel there is because there's a lot of pressure in that camp there's a lot of pressure in that town a lot of people are starting to use the phrase and we're only approaching week two of the preseason super bowl or bust but he he looks like he's having a good time is what he it was what it looks like you watched episode two right i know willie you didn't get to it right no so we're not gonna we're not gonna overdo this today we're gonna do a recap tomorrow but do you see anything different in episode two with Rodgers in terms of urgency, Damon? Uh, I think that that offensive line, it's getting under his skin a little bit. Yes. He knows that, hey, this might be a problem. The snaps, <laughs> oh, man, I loved it because, you know, you got Liv Schreiber, you know, the, the connection between, you know, the center and the quarterback. You know, like that's where yeah. the editorial control uh, comes in because well, they're uh, showing a little bit of it, but I'm sure he's probably cussing that guy out. Oh, well, the conversation. <laughs> basically, what it is is Rogers having a little trouble making the connection with the centers, and that was like that. That was like the second or third center, um, and he's talking about, hey, like on the snap back. First of all, I'm gonna be up on. I'm gonna be up in you. You know, right. not literally, but like I get a little, oh, a little deeper down there, and he's like, I do not. I don't want to spiral. So when you send it back, you know, it's spinning at all. I just want kind of something soft and mushy coming my way. I actually, I asked um, at UNLV camp today, they had Doug Brumfield available, and I was trying to explain it to him what happened, and basically his answer was like, I don't care how it comes back. So maybe, maybe that's something that veteran quarterbacks care more about. You're talking maybe about under center, not uh, – No, well, these, these were some of them were um, also the shotgun snaps okay. as well. Yeah, I mean, Brumfield, there's a lot of uh, shotgun in the UNLV offense, although – I think early in camp we were talking about it with uh, Caleb Herring, who, by the way, is going to join us in about an hour about this subject. Because this is something like, do we know anything about this quarterback and like how you like the ball coming back at you, shotgun? Right. No, but but anyway, my whole point with Rodgers is um, the way he played the first episode, where he's talking to people, and even I think he gave someone he gave a huddle a speech about like appreciate things, and then this last episode, you notice the hat he's wearing. You're going to buy this hat. Uh no I I like I didn't I didn't want to pause the episode but I saw him point at it and I was like I can't read that the hat is twenty eight dollars and it just says in script it says cherish the little things it's the cherish the little things hat oh brother I mean Aaron Rodgers is right we all need to step back and just cherish the little things now it's extra cheesy now that I know what the hat says that he's walking by the camera and he's pointing at it and they put it in like that yeah. half a frame yeah. slower yep. slow-mo no get out of here what a guy <laughs> Willie I appreciate your your prep sheet today thanks man that was really good 
Might run and Damon, I really appreciate you fast tracking <laughs> an issue we've had for a long time with our sound on our videos. We have a, a fix that we're working on, and you got something done in about a week. We're right at the finish line that hadn't that we kind of stalled on for like three months, man. I really appreciate that. It's the little thing, Steve. Are you cherishing them? <laughs> <laughs> it's a new Steve Cofield. Hey, Raj. I am becoming unbearable. I know that. There I, will uh, be no critique of this man on so, the show, and if there is, there will be a full throttle defense of him anytime they lose a game. Not his fault. So you know, I researched about six weeks ago, darkness retreats and mental health retreats. Eh. Now, after I just went on this little road trip, eh. I'm in full appreciation of whatever it was he went through. Um, if if this is the if this is the the result, because I know that I needed to get the heck out of town. I heard I heard Ryan Leaf on an interview. I think it was with Patrick. They. Patrick brought up the isolation room, the dark room. Yeah. And Ryan Leaf was like, I couldn't do that. The only reason like, that- There's no way I could do it. And keep in mind, Ryan Leaf spent like three years in prison. Yeah. And he was like, I couldn't go in a dark the room. Only maybe, reason, maybe that's why. You know, you, know what, you know what kind of frightened me a little bit was it, was it wasn't the darkness or the quiet or this. It was they start explaining to you how you have to get used to opening your eyes and they slowly, you bring, slowly bring you back into the light. It's dim, and then it's lighter, and I'm thinking, I'm reading all this, I'm going, wait a minute. Like, you have to adjust your eyes and your everything in the eyeball to, 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 to after sitting in dark for so long. That was the only reason why I was like, okay, no, I don't know about all this. Do we believe that, or does this work? Because I kind of believe that, that maybe this offseason convinced him, like, I, it, it, the, the end of the road's coming here. I probably do have to, like, take in more around me, cherish things a little more around me, Maybe even, and for him, and I don't mean to say anything bad about Aaron Rodgers. You know that. I'm going to do that all the time now, like Stephen A. Like, I break bread with him. I don't mean to say anything bad about him. You got to um, add in the however. <laughs> however, your, uh, your boy, your dog. But, but do you think he? You think he thought about it during this uh, contemplative period? Like, all of my wars that I've had with people. Like, I wonder if he's ever. If, like, if it's coming soon with his family. And he doesn't talk to his family. Like, if he step back and he's like, all right, I got to let all the Packer anger go. It's my last year or two with the Jets. To say what... To, the to, looking at me like, bro, to determine, To determine... What? He's a new man! To determine... He can teach us all the change! To de- no more grudges! Listen, to determine what it was what? that he let go, we don't know. We have no clue. But I will tell you that what, <laughs> whatever that whatever he did up there, yeah. it, it, it does something. It's like anybody. Everybody has their their getaway or has their release. So you go do something. You you and the SO went away what a couple of months ago, right? Um, we all we all you know need to do that. So whatever it was that he went through and did, maybe it had an effect on him. What what exactly he he released and let go? I I don't know. Maybe he just said, you know what? I'm just gonna put me first. Cherish the little things. Cherish the little things. That's what came out of this. And now he's only selling a hat for 28 bucks. You know what? On behalf of DeMond and I, we appreciate you appreciating what you. we did today. Thank you. you know what? I, I, this, is a, this is a drum I beat all the time. I just wish, just wish that fans would appreciate who they're paying to see, who they're rooting for, and that's the players. And I don't think there's been any movement on Josh Jacobs 
and the Raiders. Now, I will say, we're so hungry for football news. Someone catching a quick video and a blurb with Dave Ziegler talking to fans, and apparently one of the fans is like, hey, you know, get the deal done with Josh Jacobs or what's going on? And Ziegler says to a fan, hey, we're going to get something done. And then it's like, Ziegler says something's going to get done. Like, he's talking to a fan. fan. (laughs) And then I'm so disappointed. I I know it's a broken record. I know I beat the same freaking drum all the time with team management versus on-the-field labor because I'm always going to side with the the on-the-field people, right? Mm -hmm. And I see Dalvin Cook sign, right, and Zeke signs. And by the way, Zeke signed for, what, a million and incentives, which is absurd. And Dalvin Cook signed for something closer to 5 or $6 million. Then I see people weaponize the – these are some bloggers, some content creators, some fans – Weaponize the Dalvin Cook signing for six point six million, and, and then point to Josh Jacobs and go, "Hey, you know what? You better take that ten. It's looking pretty good now. Are we really going to do this? How many of you fans and content creators and bloggers and podcasters are going to freaking turn on Josh Jacobs or put undue pressure on him, unnecessary pressure on him? I don't get this. Right, because anybody that does that, all of a sudden you're comparing. You can't compare contracts. You know you have to compare the body of work and who ex- exactly it is you're talking about. Josh Jacobs is standing on his principles and what he believes and what him and his agent yeah. have decided. All yeah. of a sudden, because this guy did this, we're going to do the no. Yeah. I I would do this. You don't play running back in the NFL. Right. Every play is not the end of your career on the line. All right. And the other thing is never apply your work standards and your work position to an NFL player. Listen, most of us. Oh, I'm going to go march into the manager's office and I'm going to tell them. And then it, it either you don't do it or when you go in there, you're a lamb. You don't do crap because you have no leverage. Now, does Josh Jacobs have any leverage? I don't know. I know this. I think, and you're really young when you come to the NFL, I would think he saw what was coming with the running back position and I would have freaking, I would have spent like, Five to eight percent of my and all the monies I got, I would I'd live the most basic friggin' life. I know he took care of his dad, but beyond that, and he did buy a nice car, so I don't know how responsible he's been. But I, if I were running back and I got that first deal and I'm a first round pick, I'm not spending crap because I know after that it's a year to year deal, and you got to like you got to live thinking that way. But I, I don't know where he is financially. I I hope he is flush with money. I hope he has most of it. And he can push this and somehow push this 10.9 offer that he's getting with a franchise to at least include a bunch of bonuses. But for you out there who are like, eh, Dalvin Cook money, it's getting close. You might want to take that. What are you doing? Being a little selfish. Don't do that. Don't do that. I would imagine. Don't do that to players. I would imagine that he's also in the back of his mind. He's somewhat thinking that it's like he's the he's the NFL king, rushing king right now. So who's which running back's got the biggest target on his back? This season, Josh Jacobs, we're going to show him. Welcome back to Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Willie Ramirez. All right, rolling on here on a Wednesday. You heard it, Willie is the company. DeMont's here, it's Cofield. We'll uh, get Adam Hill on later in the show, in the middle of the show, to find out uh, what's going on with the Raiders and this joint practice with the Rams. So a lot of stuff going on this week in Southern California when it comes to the uh, football standpoint. 
So I mentioned Dalvin Cook to open the show for a couple minutes there about uh, just because Dalvin Cook signed with the Jets and the deal is whatever it is, $6.6 million, uh, that does not mean that Josh Jacobs needs to panic, uh, nor should fans be pushing him like, hey, take what you can get or it's going to be gone. You want to make money or not? Like, don't do that to him. That's not fair. He's not Dalvin Cook. He's much better. He's done a lot for this organization. And just because this is what football is now doesn't mean, and you know, what I mean by that is running backs are getting their – their value crushed doesn't mean that Josh Jacobs has to take a, a deal that he's uncomfortable with, which only offers him, you know, this year in terms of security. If he goes down with an injury, there's not going to be anything there or anyone there to pick him up, which brings us to what Dalvin Cook did signing with the Jets and what the Patriots did bringing in Zeke Elliott. I thought what the herd had to say the other day was kind of interesting as he was comparing and contrasting and really kind of dumped on the Patriots for going with Zeke over Dalvin Cook. So my two big takeaways on those moves, number one, Aaron Rodgers took a pay cut, not just because he's a nice guy. He wanted something in return. He wanted another playmaker. So now he's got Garrett Wilson. He wanted Alan Lazard. He's got Corey Davis, uh, Brees Hall off an injury, Dalvin Cook a pro bowler. So it's not that, you know, Aaron wasn't being a little altruistic, but dude wanted a playmaker, and that's what Dalvin Cook is. I would argue he's in the latter years of his prime, but it still feels like he's in his prime to me. I really like him, and he can pass block, catch, run, three down back, great player. My second takeaway is the Patriots could have had Dalvin Cook. Hmm, okay. So why didn't they get him? Well, Zeke is in for a million plus incentives. Maybe a bargain, not settle. The word settle. Personally, and this is not the cowboy fan talking. I don't think Zeke. I don't think Zeke's done. I don't think that he's. He. I mean, if you want to say downside of his career, like backside of it. Okay, but he's still coming off the peak of it. He's not. He's not. He's not. It's not a bad running back. I mean, it's a bargain price for Ezekiel Elliott. Right. And let's not forget where he's going and who he's playing for. This is a guy who's found talent that nobody suspected and rejuvenated talent that people thought was washed up. And they've got a beast in Ramondre Stevenson. He's not going to have to shoulder the burden and carry the load. So, Instead, it was about value. It's always about value. For Belichick, nice stuff costs money. Remember that TV show, Extreme Couponing, years ago? And you'd watch these people come into a grocery store, and it's like, oh, my God, they got $1,000 worth of groceries for $0.07. And then by the end of the show, your takeaway was, these people are weirdos. Yeah, they are. And Belichick's becoming one. Okay. I I love Colin's analogies. I don't know what the extreme couponer had to do with Belichick or that Belichick is a weirdo because he signed Zeke. But you believe he still has life and yes. you believe they got a bargain. Uh, Colin is describing Zeke as bargain bin, that he shot and the Jets got a much better player. Now they paid for it, but they got a much better player. Maybe they got a better player overall, maybe maybe age-wise. I don't know what their difference is. I mean, how much of a difference is their age? But I, I still don't – I just don't think that Ezekiel Elliott is done. 
I don't think that – I mean, I think that he can come in and do play the role that Belichick's going to ask him to play in a running back room that he'll fit in. He And you know what? He's probably going to go in there not feeling the pressure that he did in Dallas. I mean, Dak Prescott's going to carry the burden, you know, on his shoulders for the most part. But still, there was a lot of pressure placed on Elliott. I don't think he's going to have that feel that pressure in New England. I think Dalvin Cook's older. I just looked it up real quick, but I, they're really? both 1995. No, they're they're the exact same age, maybe like a couple months apart. Yeah, but I think Dalvin Cook is he's August, and I think Zeke is September of 95. Talk about a perception difference, right? Justin Watkins here with us a little bit early today. Legal insider, fantasy football, eh, he plays. I was going to say expert, but, you know, no, you got to get back no. to the mountaintop. That's right. Uh, from a fantasy standpoint, how do you look at those guys? And especially I, the teams they went to. I'd rather have Cook than, than Zeke. I, and I, don't, I just don't think Zeke's got much left. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what their carry, carries uh, over their career are compared to each other, but watching Zeke last year – as compared to Cook last year and the ability to break tackles and get into the you know second and third tier, I'd much rather have Cook. I mean, I, th- I think Cook's like in the August of his career, and I feel yeah. like Zeke's in November. <laughs> you know, he's, he's real close towards the end. By the way, how off was I? Are they like two weeks apart? July 22nd for Zeke and August 10th. So Zeke's older. Zeke's older. (laughs) Zeke's older by like 18 days. Zeke has played 103 games. Cook has played 73. Um, Rushing attempts, 1,881 for Zeke, 1,282 for Cook. We're tried off the tire. Rushing yards per attempt, the edge goes to Cook by .3 yards. Uh, Rushing touchdowns, 68 to 47 for Zeke. But it's the direction they're going in. Right, exactly. A lot of that, that's front-loaded. Right on I Zeke. Mean, Zeke's workload is thirty, you know, fifty percent more nah. than Dalvin Cook's over the same career time. You know, all right. Well, but then there's real football, and that's where it, Cook is closer to getting a guaranteed six plus. Zeke has to play to get the six. Yeah, and we'll see. That's uh, you're taking a leap of faith with Belichick. I don't know what he told him, but you know, because week to week, you never know what what he's going to do with you in terms of carries. I I'm not sure what the incentives are. I, you just can't take a Patriot running back. You don't know. Oh, in fantasy, either, fantasy yeah. It's terrible. No, Zeke, Zeke should be a bargain, especially in our auction league. All right, quick time out here. When we come back, we got a bunch of sports stuff with uh, legal issues involved, including uh, Michael R., the uh, offensive lineman in the NFL with the Ravens, the uh, main character on the blind side. And now we got a whole deal where maybe he's going to be able to sue. Maybe he's going to be able to get a lot of money. And there's a whole other issue. Like, can you just sign away your name? I guess the NCAA says yes, but can you sign away NIL at like, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old to some movie company? Legal Insider, Justin Watkins in studio with us here on the Finley Toyota Studios. 766-1400 is the call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. Want to get that right? Other people will yell at us, right? Uh, Willie's here. Damon as well. So this Michael Orr story, one... I don't know about you guys, but like I really like the blind side, so I was kind of, I'm not going to say disappointed, but I was like, man, like there's a negative angle to this whole thing. So I guess he's claiming that uh, he kind of got used and abused in this whole deal. So what exactly is he claiming here? Do you file a, an actual lawsuit? No, well, he's filing an action in an existing, what he's claiming is an existing court action. And it's it's unclear whether he actually has this this right or not, but 
what was claimed is very similar to the Britney Spears situation that his adoptive parents actually never really adopted him. They became his conservators. And then as this conservatorship progressed, they had the rights to use his story and use his name and, and basically profit from that and take that money and enrich themselves um, and not necessarily enrich him. And so he's seeking court order to end the conservatorship um, to the extent that it still exists. And to actually, if once that's done, it looks like he's going to try to go after some damages against, I'll, I'll say his parents. He, he seems like he now disputes that characterization of him, of them being his parents uh, and recover money from the movies, from the book, from the whole thing. Conservatorship, I mean, I'm assuming it falls in the same line. You were talking adoption. We're talking conservatorship, like saying guardian, but he's a grown man. Doesn't that sort of go away at a certain age? It can, according to the orders, but like conservatorship can also be in a situation in which a person doesn't know what, how to do what's best for them. So that, that's the Britney Spears situation. She you know, borderline or actually diagnosed mentally ill, did not seem to have the ability to make mature decisions for herself. And so her dad was her conservator up until she was 40 years old. Um, and he determined what money she could get and what she could spend and what she could do with it. Uh, and in, in certain situations, that's okay. Um, and in obviously in others, it can be clearly abused i i'm not even saying the britney spears situation is abused i don't know anything about it um other than you know when britney asked for it to be lifted it was lifted um but she didn't seem to have asked for it before she was 40 did you want to bring up the abuse that uh sandra bullock's getting yeah, I, this I, is wild, yeah. and, I, and I don't think this is just this is just fandom. Like people want to take this is just dumb away fandom. From her. Like, what yeah, is this? like this this is not a legal issue, and they're not going to do this. But it just cracks me up. They're going. She should. Get, she should. Uh, she now knows that she got that under false pretenses. They should take her Academy Award away. How did she didn't know what was going on? Like <laughs> right. she knew all this, and she was in cahoots with Leanne Tui. Come yeah. on. No, and obviously, like. I don't know what level of involvement that the parents had in the production of it all. Um, and remember, when, when this came out, Michael Orr was still very young. Um, and so I don't know that he voiced any objection to it. I don't know that he knew how any proceeds would be distributed. Um, so, you know, clearly now he thinks he got the short end of the stick. So do you, do you think he has a case? Uh, so well, got nothing out of it. I don't. I don't know if they entered into the contract based on them as conservators, and the they determined how the the monies and the royalties would would be divided up, and they were a party because they were part of the movie too, right? They they're the ones who approached it, and and he was a party, and they acted as his conservator. Then the answer is yes, because they have a conflict of interest. They're. Every penny they take take away from him, they give to them, and so you can't negotiate that fairly. That's that's another situation in which they would appoint typically in this court a guardian ad litem, which is a guardian for a limited specific purpose. That the parent or the regular guardian can't do this because they have their own internal conflict at interest. So a court appoints somebody else, 
could could be me as an attorney, could be anybody, and says, will you act in the best interest of this individual? And that guardian does it. When that transaction's done, it's over. Hmm. So, yes, I think he has a potential claim. All right. I can't, I would, I can't believe that, he, this, that this dude didn't make any money at all off the movie. Well, he may have, but it may be in conservator funds. Right, so they may it's be tied account, up in it's tied up, and, and, and there, you know, he doesn't have control over that. Right now, if they didn't give him any, again, they didn't give him any, and they took it all. Then yeah, he's got he, a case. He's got yeah. a case. He yeah. got something yeah. going on. Headline: One night stand harassing me and my mom with unhinged threats. Says Bengals Jamar Chase. And by the way, for guys who are listening, let's not jump to immediate conclusion like, "Oh yeah, it's some whack job." I mean. What she's claiming could be true because she's also claiming to be a victim of DV and that she had a kid with him. I mean, yeah, of course it can be true, right? right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and and this isn't some like anti Jamar Chase thing. I just think a lot of guys read this and are like, you know, crazy yeah. lady, right? I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's it's crazy as big as sports has gotten as as this is, you know, these these things get to this level. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Drake has it right, right? When he has them, well, no, signs consent forms, yeah, right? Like, like, like Jeter apparently had and uh, records it, NDAs, but it was an agreement. Hey, yeah, no, oh, uh, Drake, Drake records it, records it. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yes, he does. What does he record? Them, them saying that yeah. that's what they want to do. Yeah. That they they want to. It's, it's like a video agreement. Yep. No yeah, way. I've heard a yeah. lot. Of people, there's there's people oh, wow. there's there's I mean there's non celebrities I've heard do that. Yeah, you no, just right. yes. Verbal agreements, video <laughs> agreements. Record this. I think yeah. you this be is pretty, what you want, right? Like you got to <laughs> be pretty high up on the food chain to be pulling that one. No, because you could be, you, I mean, monetarily, you could be somebody who's worth X amount of dollars and just be a schnook. Nobody mm-hmm. knows who you are, but you're not going to get- well, That's what I meant. On yeah. the food, high on the food chain money-wise, okay, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, Fame yeah. or money. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, he should have done that, apparently, because <laughs> now he's in it. Yep. We'll see what happens. I mean, um, you know, like, like you said, she- you can't just assume she's lying or she's crazy, um, but I'm also not going to assume that she's telling the truth either. You know, you got, like this got to play out a little bit. You do wonder with a lot of these players who their agents are and if they have these kind of talks with agents. Well, you know, like if the agent, I don't know. <laughs> by the way, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I think it's worth a watch. The Johnny Manziel well, that, I was just documentary to is really interesting because uh, one, his advisor in college was one of his friends, yeah. which oddly enough, after everything hit the fan, they just stopped speaking. Like Johnny Manziel cut him off, which is weird to me that they were best friends. And then when they brought his agent on, I'm like, who is this guy? Yep. Right? Yeah. And well, that guy was completely unimpressive. Unimpressive, but it also gets gets to the point where I was just about to make is like we assume that these agents can talk sense into these players. That too. And like you know, he's yeah. trying. He's hey. trying to save Manziel from himself. And yep. he's just, I mean, he's you pulling all the tricks out of the bag. Dad, you're going to fake a heart attack. And you're yeah. going to go to the hospital, right? Like Their whole effort was to get him to the finish line of the draft. And, and, the and they, way, still, they still didn't get him there. And the, and the Browns still took him. Well, and the other thing is, though, the way that they manipulated the national media, was, yep. like the friend was the master manipulator. Like, oh, come from oil money. And they, oh, they just paired it. Just right there, next thing on ESPN. You know, oh, they're family comes from oil money he I doesn't remember, need money i remember blah, blah, blah. saying it i'm yeah. like he's a rich kid that's why he doesn't care yeah and meanwhile it was a 20 year old who freaking worked all of us yep his buddy just made up a story his parents were okay okay they but weren't they like were, they no. weren't is is the manzel just a one episode documentary yep one yeah. hour i got i still have to watch that i got to catch up on hard knocks 
Um, and what was the other one you just brought up? Oh, you want to talk about painkiller? Well, and- you know what? I didn't put that in our in our rundown today. So let's take a quick timeout. This one, and this is not in a rundown. It, it this is so crazy. As you watch it, I when I watch it, I get so infuriated because I know people who are victims of this pharma company, which is another thing I want to address. But it's about I'll say it once. It's about Purdue Pharma. And what they did to North America and really around the world. And I mean, it's just one account of the story. It's amazing. And the case is still going on because they're trying to declare bankruptcy to get out from under a $6 billion settlement. Boy, if they're allowed to walk on this one, shame on our entire system. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, Justin is here a little early this week. Uh, normally in the 4 o'clock hour, we have uh, Caleb Herring coming up at the start of the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, lots of quarterback talk, some UNLV camp talk. So during the break, Justin and Willie and myself were just talking about documentaries, and we were just on the subject of AI. And then you just looked at your phone, and there was another suggested documentary. I can't figure out how the phone knew that to suggest a documentary. But I started texting you about Painkiller, and it is amazing. It's about Purdue Pharma and OxyContin and how many people have died and how it ruins so many lives. And then the legal process of these Purdue Pharma guys, the Sacklers, just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And it's still going on. Mm-hmm. It's still going on. I hope you watch the documentary at some point. I will. Because it doesn't put the Sacklers in very, a very good light. And they actually they have a couple of victims that they feature in there. And they actually, I thought it was really creative. At the beginning, their disclaimer is read by the parents of a victim. Mm-hmm. So they read the disclaimer, and then you have to hear this heart-wrenching story for like 45 seconds or a minute how this 28-year-old is dead, this 26-year-old has, has perished, 32-year-old is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't know if you remember that that whole era. A lot of times it was like, well, they're just, you know, these addicts. They're just weak. And a lot of it was just based on, and it always is in these cases, right, with big tobacco, like what they knew, um, how far back they knew it, and mm-hmm. then how many lies did they tell along the way. And, right. and how many times they were able to kind of maneuver their way through the court system. And they finally got gotten at the end, but it's not done yet. Right. Well, and the other thing to know, too, is like the, the, the side effect of – Oxycontin and the opioids were that when you were coming off of it, it wasn't just that you had these addictive withdrawals. It's that the withdrawals manifested themselves as pain. So you believed you needed them because you were feeling pain. That's right. So it's not like you were getting jittery or anything like that. It it manifested in the type of pain you were trying to mask in the first place. So super dangerous. But like, yeah, so what ends up happening is... The company filed bankruptcy because they got all of these lawsuits filed against them. They got state attorney generals, Nevada's one of them, filed against them. They got millions and millions and billions of dollars. And in the bankruptcy, as part of the reorganization, there is this sort of settlement that comes out of it for $6 billion to all the different uh, people who have been affected. And you know that sounds good, and the number's good. The, the unfortunate part is it doesn't actually address any of the victims. At best, it tries to prevent future victims, but the reality is, is the story's already told. There's not going to be as many future victims, so a lot of this money is actually not going to help anybody. Right. But 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 it, it's good to make them pay, right? So okay, so we got a six billion dollar settlement now. The federal government and the Biden administration is fighting that settlement 
and saying that the this is very technical, but that the bankruptcy court is overstepping their bounds because one of the terms of the settlement is that the family individually is immune from any further liability right. as part of this settlement. And that simply just doesn't happen in bankruptcy. You can, it doesn't. You, 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 no, you, you cannot release liability of a non-creditor as a part of a bankruptcy. And so they fought it, and a lot of states fought it, and, and the lower court, and then they threw in more money, and some of the states backed off. And so the only one who's left is the Biden administration, and they're basically saying, you don't have a legal you don't have the legal authority to do this. You are the bankruptcy court. You get to talk about the trustee. I mean, I'm sorry, the the debtor and the trustee is standing in their place. You can't talk about people who are outside of this and provide immunity based on this on this debtor. Um, By the way, the family's worth 11 billion. The settlement's worth six billion. Settlement's worth six billion, and the family pulled out ten billion dollars like right on the cusp of all these suits coming so they they withdrew all this money too so um so there's a real and that's important because there's a real argument that they were undercapitalizing the company intentionally and when you do something like that you can be personally liable for your company debts you don't get to just use it as your slush fund so um i don't know where the supreme court's going to come down on it i tend to think they're going to side with the Biden administration. I, I think I think they're going to say that the that the bankruptcy court does not have that authority because it's such a bad precedent to set. So they're not getting out of the six billion. It's just the whole personal liability stuff. Well, they might not. They might not agree to the six billion. This is the term of the six billion. Oh. So if the Biden administration wins, the settlement goes away, and we just move on. We just continue forward with is the bankruptcy. Risky? I think it's. I mean, it, it's it would be they gonna it be certainly would be risky if you thought that that money was actually going to go to helping victims get better, right. or or to make sure that this never happens again. I'm a little cynical to believe that that is actually what the, they're going to set up all these wonderful funds with all this grant money that exists all throughout, and like nobody's going to access it, and then at some point it's going to yep. like spill over into something else. When uh, in the movie, in the documentary, when they first sat down, and the uh, it was Virginia that brought the case. And uh, the feds in Virginia, when they first brought the case, the uh, the lawyer, now I'm blanking on his name, he's dead. Tough. Uh, 2013, he passed away. Uh, Udall, I think his name was. And they offered, uh, the government came to him and they're like, we want $2 billion. And he's like, I'll give you this. We'll give you $10 million. And it was just like a donation. And we will not apologize. We will not say we did anything wrong. So that's where it really started. Mm-hmm. Where the, Then the feds are like, okay. And that's when the fight began. But Sackler, Richard Sackler, is still alive. I think he's seventy-eight years old. Mm-hmm. A lot of his relatives have passed away. And uh, but I also I mentioned to you, and and you know you can you can rip my head off on this one. Um, I got really offended when I and we should all know this when we cover sports and we see um, attorneys' names that the first time there was a big suit that that suit I was talking about coming out of Virginia, um, Mary Jo White and Rudy Giuliani were on the the defense team for the Sacklers and for Purdue Pharma. And I was like, we all know Giuliani, so uh, we know his standards. But with Mary Jo White, I'm like, wait, that's the same lady who was supposed to be the independent investigator of Dan Snyder and the Redskins WFT and all the, the violations in the workplace? I don't know. I, I feel offended on that, that that's who the NFL chose. But you can tell me how there were I just, I get, there are different lines. I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't, right? Like, I mean, do you do you think that a guy who's a public defender and, and tries to get – 
defend somebody who was charged with murder and keep them from being killed? Like, do you think they're unscrupulous and they're? I bad guess I people? look at public defenders different than big time defense attorneys. And I well, also, you're right. I I don't know if uh, like I do I apply certain things to David Chesnoff because he. You know, he's working with Ruggs and Zion Collins, and then if he was an independent investigator years from now, I'd be like, he's not qualified. you got to remember, though, like when, when you are a big corporation like the NFL and you're dealing with billions and trillions of dollars, you want to be dealing with legal minds that are used to dealing with billions and trillions of dollars. You, like, they have to have that sort of access. You wouldn't pick, you wouldn't pick me. I'm not in that corporate world and understand the imaginations of the of the corporate. Well, I, I kind of do because I used to do it. But for the most part, you want these big top 10 law firm size, you know, people. Yeah. And they're probably centered out of New York or L.A. or Tokyo or London or all four. And that's the kind of work that they're in. They're in bankruptcies on the debtor side and on the creditor side. Right. They are in mergers and acquisitions. They are in huge class action defense. That's the kind of work that they I do. Guess it's wrong for me to look at Mary Jo White as anti-victim because she defended Purdue Pharma and just assume that those standards are going to be applied against the victims of Snyder I and think, the skins. Well, here's the other thing. Yeah, I, I I'm so. at a disadvantage. I don't know what she said. Right. Did we get the whole report from the NFL for Mary Jo White? No, of course we not. We still haven't gotten I mean, it. We still don't know what that is. So. Yeah, so, I mean, she might have done a wonderful job. Yeah. <laughs> how, when I saw Giuliani, I'm like, how freaking rich is he? I mean, oh, yeah. what are the, those kind of lawyers from a place like Purdue Pharma? Back what, then. What's your take on that? Back then, like 900 bucks an hour, 1000 an hour. Today's today's terms eighteen hundred an hour two thousand okay, an hour. But I was gonna, no, I was going to say, I, who is that a lot? I mean, that's tops in the country. That's, okay. that's, 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 that's as expensive. I mean, I would as assume it gets. that they're get. What do they walk away with? Eight, ten, twelve million for being part of the defense team? Not even that. <laughs> mm, it depends, right? It's like I don't know what firm she was at. Um, you know, Giuliani's different. He's kind of got his own thing. So most of that's going into his own pocket. <laughs> Does but, now? Yeah, but. When you work for those big firms and you're a partner at those big firms, I mean, yeah, you're going to make a couple million a year. Um, but, mm -hmm. like, that direct billing doesn't go into your pocket. That's not how it works. Okay. It all goes into the pool, right? Like, they're all – all the partners – those these firms are huge, right? They might have a 1,000 partners, and they might have offices throughout the world. And they all got to throw in their take, right, to the big pot in the middle, and then it's taken based on seniority and title and what have you. Last one, last couple seconds here. 766-1400 is the number for Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Justin Watkins in studio with us. When you watch a documentary like Painkiller or something, like, do you get outraged? Yeah. Or, you, yeah. Do you still get outraged? Yeah. I, I figured so. everything's like, ah, you know, par for the course. I've seen that before. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just watched this documentary yesterday called Coded Bias. came out in 2020, I believe. talks about AI and facial recognition and the use of it by big corporations and governments and law enforcement without any legal guardrails, without any bounds. Um, Europe has outlawed the practice. China in fully embraces it and tells their people they're doing it and gives them a social credit. And the United States has Wild West, no laws. And I was like furious watching that show that that's what's going on in our coded world today. bias coded bias all right. on. i'm on that one netflix i'm on I'm, that I'm one on, yeah, I'm another documentary i'm ready we'll see you